And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 74 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, April 13th, 2015. Well, people, it's that time of year when royalty and peasants alike and armies across a nation continue their infighting. The king's ransom is demanded by one faction of the kingdom and is decried as unfair by the other. There's much cheating and yelling and intrigue. Some professions fall upon their sword as they climb the wall, and others rejoice as their bounty is returned. And of course, I'm talking about the fact that it's income tax week here in the U.S., where we all grin and bear it and fill out our forms and hope for the best. But also, yeah, the new season of Game of Thrones started this week, and once more, it's that crazy hijinks and shenanigans across that sleepy little country of Westeros. And who knows what good, clean, uproarious adventures the old gang's going to get into this season. So put all that together, you've got a great reason to listen to this week's show, where Joe and I are going to help you adjust your gross income of content marketing news, give you an itemized deductible list of earned credits, exemptions from depreciated information, and a full schedule W, that's right, W for winning at business. We're going to throw down some rants and raves like the Red Wedding of content, and we'll round it out with a this old marketing example that's going to make you look like Arya Stark watching the hound eat an entire chicken. So let's get our song of content marketing fire and ice on, and for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, the Jon Snow of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, Joe? Welcome back from vacation. Thank you. If you wouldn't have inserted those financial terms, I would have no idea what you were talking about. (laughs) Are you talking in English? Of course, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan yet. I gotta it find is time. Amazing. Oh, it is so great. It's such a great show. I, I'm so excited for it to be back. And of course, last night was episode number one of the new season. It's just and it opened up with a bang. Is it good? I have to say it's oh it's, worth it. it's just so wonderful. I love that what show. Se- what season yeah. is it? This would be five. This would be five, which is the last season actually before they're gonna run out of book. Um the, so uh, he's he's working on feverishly well i from what i hear now he's like taking a pause on books um book seven which would be theoretically next season so starting next season they're gonna have to start really basically going out on their own and sort of making stuff up well it's, it's got to be tough to find time to write a book when you're counting all that money i mean oh my god can you he's, imagine he's I mean, it's just <laughs> insane it's just, it is, it is no. It's it good is to be insane. back. Oh, the, the the family had a, we had a fantastic time. We went to Universal Studios and spent some time in Fort Lauderdale. And I came off the deadbeat dad list. I am now oh in the running for Dad of the Year. <laughs> oh, thank fantastic. you very much. Yes, uh, who's the who, who's the competition? Uh, the, luckily, no one. It's just okay, my good. own performance. All right. Yes. It's... All right. Fantastic. <laughs> You're competing against yourself against a few other performances. I see. Well, but since you I and see. I were gallivanting around Asia for <laughs> a couple weeks, you know, they're like, Dad, it's good to see you again. Yeah. So, nice to see you, Dad. No, it was great. We had fantastic weather. It rained one time, and oh, that was when nice. we got into the plane on the way home. So oh, we there actually you go. Saw, I was, we can't beat that. Oh, it was mid-80s, sunny the whole time. We had a great time. It, it's wonderful to be back talking to you. I got to tell you. Oh, well, see, there you go. There you go. <laughs> did right. did any news happen while I was gone? Well, holy smokers, was there a lot of news while you were gone? Yeah, I mean, and so breaking as of quite literally on 
I think it was Friday. LinkedIn acquires lynda.com. Dun, dun, dun. This first article comes to us courtesy of The Next Web and Forbes and a million other magazines that covered the acquisition. LinkedIn has announced that it has acquired lynda.com for $1.5 billion. That's billion with a capital B, ladies and gentlemen. The acquisition is a combination of half, about half, 52% cash um, and stock and expects to close in the second quarter very, very quickly here as most LinkedIn acquisitions typically do. Um, so, I mean, what do you think, Joe? This is this is big news, I think, for those in the content and learning space. Oh, it's, it's huge news. And I love the move simply because the more and more I'm seeing these platforms get built out, the more I think that diversification is necessary. And I think that's what Google, of course, has been struggling to get there. And they will get there, even though they're still mostly advertising. When, when you look at Facebook and you look at LinkedIn and you look at Twitter – they are continually trying to diversify away. And LinkedIn doesn't have as much of a problem as LinkedIn or, or as uh, Twitter or Facebook does, but just to get away from advertising. So I love this focus. And it sort of rounds, I mean, what do you think? Does It, it seems to round out their offering of this professional services network and really to, to say, hey, you know, you've got to, it's not just for recruiting. If you have a skills gap, we can help you get educated in this e-learning platform around that skills gap area is that am well, i reading it right that's exactly i mean come on this is like this is you know you rarely get these days sort of the match made in heaven and this is just the match made in heaven i mean because a lot is being made of course about how much money 10 times revenue by some estimates of what um, they paid for the company but i think they can immediately do that and then some i mean just imagine applying the Linda suite of classes and certification to the level of data around professional development that they have. I mean, so if you're a designer and you're, you know, all of a sudden you get a LinkedIn email that says, hey, by the way, we noticed that you've been a Photoshop person or a designer for the last 10 years. When was the last time you got recertified or, you know, even at all educated on the newest Photoshop techniques? Here's a class that you can start to go take. Just, I mean, they can, I would imagine they can incrementally increase the, the amount of revenue that Linda is already getting without even breathing. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's plug and play. It's yeah. it's absolutely plug and play. You've got a marketing machine with LinkedIn, and it shouldn't. I mean, there are they're growing at a you know pretty healthy twenty percent a year clip. Linda dot com is. I mean, you yeah. add LinkedIn to that and do nothing else but add marketing to it, and you're going to be successful. I think it's so funny though. The ten times revenue. Took me aback. I mean, I got to tell you, uh, I'm like, you know, what's funny is because it's a little dot com. Well, of them. you know, okay, just to talk valuations for a little bit. I mean, media companies that are out there. I mean, they, you know, if you can get six, seven times earnings, that's not revenue times right, earnings. Right, right. You're feeling pretty good. And then there was this whole shift years ago to say, no, 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 we're not a media company. We're a tech company because they're like, hey, we can get tech company type revenues. Now they're all right. going to go out and say, no, we're <laughs> right. e-learning. We're a content company. Yeah, we're an yeah. e-learning. Content company because we want ten times revenue. Look what uh, Linda.com got. So you're a whole slew of media companies out there are changing their decks. To, oh, to absolutely. I'm, well, that and they can add. You know, so there's not only the individual students. You know, sort of going to the the masses as it were. But I mean, just imagine LinkedIn now going to Adobe or Microsoft or anybody who wants to offer a training channel through the LinkedIn platform. 
and start to say, listen, for X amount of dollars, we can give you the Photoshop channel or the AutoCAD channel or, you know, all these different channels which would be out there. I mean, it's just the 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 matches here are, are, are just so fantastic. So I think the revenue – look, I think – if I can think of another company, let's see if I can think of another company that does really great niche marketing around a practice that really also teaches people how to really succeed in that practice. I'm wondering if I can think I of anybody. I don't know if I can think of any. Um, not off the top see, of my head. Content marketing, maybe. Is there anybody in content marketing who does that? Oh, I know somebody who might deserve 10 times revenue. <laughs> I. <laughs> And this is our last episode, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we are now taking the retirement trade. Uh, yeah. yeah, You can yeah. be pretty certain. I think uh, I think it's okay to say if anybody comes with 10 times earnings. We're listening to, to yeah. any 10 times. Oh, hey, you know, congratulations to... She started that company, um, you know, her and her husband, in what, 1995, I believe? Yeah, that's right, by Linda Weinman. Yeah, so, Technical skills instructional author. I mean, she was basically a teacher and really has just, I mean... You talk about, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, she's been around a while, right? I mean, you know, this is twenty years later that, or or ten years rather, uh, no, twenty years later that she's now she's now getting the fruits of her labor here, and that's, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. Well, but just, for her. just it's fantastic. But just a side note for any marketers listening to this, I think the opportunities for training as an aspect of your content marketing are huge. I mean, there's no reason, there's no barriers to entry anymore to do training. And that's why actually I was surprised with the valuation because literally when there's no barriers to entry, I mean, how how many competitors are there in the corporate e-learning field? Thousands. Well, yeah, but it's the content, right? I mean, that's your barrier to entry, right? It's great content. And that's the... And lynda.com probably does, at least from reputation, have the best, at least most, you know, best produced type That's of content right. out there. That's so. right. Yeah, they take it seriously there. Yeah, they take it seriously. I've seen some of their stuff and they and the way that they actually pull you people in and te- basically one of the things that they do I think better than most of those platforms is they teach you how to teach in an online learning environment. In other words, they don't just say, you know, to the teacher, well, just give us what you got. They basically teach you how the best and practices And that's a big difference because most of the other difference. platforms just say whatever you have in whatever form right. will take it and that's a big that's difference. That's right. That's exactly right. All right, let's move along here and talk a little more about content versus advertising. And this article, Content versus Advertising, Is There Really a Debate? This comes to us courtesy of TopRankBlog.com. That's Lee Auden's blog over there, Top Rank Marketing. And he writes, and this is quite literally off, fresh off the presses today, he says, uh, recording last night's Beancast, he, uh, he was basically referring to another podcast here, hosted by the talented Bob Norp, he says, they were talking about the idea of content marketing and whether paid placement of content is just advertising. Um, and basically, they were talking about a lot of things, and, and this he starts to go through this idea of the content versus advertising question and the fact that it was inspired, by the way, uh, from a commentary from Mitch Joel um, in his podcast, um, where he said, if you have to pay, it's placed, it's not content, it's an ad. And Lee's point of view was, while he agreed with Mitch, what Mitch said in the post in terms of brands failing to create engaging, shareworthy, conversation-starting content, he's not on board with the idea of pay-to-play statement that all content that's paid for is an ad. So, I don't know, what did you think about this, and what do you think about this debate, or whether there even is a debate here? You know, it's interesting. I love these types of arguments, but I think it's so, like... <laughs> 
unnecessary. And right, we, right. We're just we're, this is so inside baseball. Nobody yes. cares but us. I think the core that I get out of this is that most companies that are looking at creating some kind of a content marketing program do not think naturally that paid needs to be part of it. And it does. I think it absolutely, especially if you're just starting to build an audience and you don't have an audience, you should be, as we say in native advertising all the time, you should be stealing as much audience as you can, try to make it your own so that you can hit upon your objectives and you know build your audience. So That's right. I don't know. I mean, what, it, it, does it really matter? Like if I, if I pay to have my content placed, it, is it technically an advertisement? Is 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 an advertisement something that you say is it paid or is it the value coming from is it is it a valuable piece of content versus a non valuable piece of content versus product I mean what's the definition of an advertisement is it have to be paid <laughs> Does anybody is anybody listening to me Does anybody care Hello Hello Hello, Hello. Is this thing on Hello Um you know look I so so let's let's just establish a baseline here all content is paid, right? You're either paying to create it, paying to place it on your own channel, or you're renting space from someone who's going to give you space to for it to There's sit. There's an investment in temper. every piece of There's content. There's an investment yes. in all of it. It is now, not free. Th- right. And so when we sort of level the playing field like that, because what we're now talking about is quantity. How much money are you paying to actually put that content in a place where an audience that you want to reach is going to be able to see it? That's the real question here in my mind. And so it, it doesn't matter at that point whether it's an ad or whether it's a piece of content. They're both pieces of content. The idea is, A, what is the goal that I'm trying to drive from this piece of content? To your point, right? Am I trying to build audience, steal audience, or am I trying to do something different, drive a lead or something like that? That's that's really the the difference in what the content's purpose is and you know, I've talked at great length about content's purpose in the in the sort of the new marketing mix. What's new in our muscle, the business muscle, is that we are creating content with a different purpose other than advertising. This is the new piece, right? Of creating content marketing that delivers a value to a consumer that has doesn't have the goals that a traditional ad might. And this is the only reason we're still that we're even having this debate at all. This, I mean, so. To me, the debate is, is is there isn't a debate, and I think that's ultimately what Lee comes to the sort of conclusion of as well. But it, it it doesn't matter whether or not we pay for placement of a piece of content on somebody else's property so that it can sit there, or whether we're paying for it to sit on our own. It, there, it's all paid, and so the question is, what is its goal? What is its purpose? Well, what's interesting too, and and I'm. You know, direct marketing went through this, search market, all kinds of marketing went through the fact that, oh, well, should I do search engine marketing or search engine optimization or should we advertise or should we buy a print right. ad? And it's not one or the other. I mean, I That's just right. I just got off the phone with a fairly large uh, group, you know, company, a group of marketers there. And we were talking about the the big challenge that they're dealing with is that they, they think it's an either or scenario. They think, oh, well, do we do these campaigns? Do we that's do right. content marketing? It's like, well, it's that's a terrible conversation to have because it's, it's not right. either or. You still, if, if you're trying to, you, you don't want your content brand that you're creating to be a campaign. Of course you don't because it'll definitely fail. But it doesn't mean because you're creating a content brand that you can't do or shouldn't do campaigns. 
You have to, of you, course. You should of be doing course. those as well. It's not either or. So that's, I, that's, right. that's, that's what right. this – I immediately thought of that uh, conversation that I had when I read this from, from well, Lee. Remember, that used to be the first slide of our workshop presentation. The very first – I mean, this is going back now three or four years where the very first slide of our workshop presentation was the – you know, it was the scene from uh, – that Brad – you know, it was a picture of Brad Pitt and basically there – you know, from Fight Club saying there is only one rule and one rule only of content marketing and that is that it is not separate and discreet from your other marketing right. and communications programs. It is infused into it. It is a part of it. It is a methodology that is built into your overall marketing strategy. Strategy. Well, it brings up an interesting question, and this is something we got from it, it just happened to sort of align with this story, so that's why we're going to put it here. This uh, Karen Marks from Pepperidge Farms, Pepperidge Farm remembers. I can't do that. I can't say Pepperidge Farm without doing that. And so she <laughs> writes in a question that was really related to this, and she said that in her business, so there's this realm, and this is the, we're going to define these terms here in a second. She says we're trying to work through working and non-working media ratios, and how to deal with that, given that you have owned media properties these days. And so she asks, basically, how do we as a business start to account for non-working media costs when? there may not be any working cost to go along with it. Now, just very quickly here, for those of you who don't know the term of art here, this is an old way. I mean, this is like, you know, kicking it old school, Pepperidge Farm remembers, um, in terms of, you know, terms from the Mad Men days of working and non-working media. So working media basically was what you paid to have the media present in a media channel. In other words, what I paid for my media placement costs, um, what I paid to have a piece of content on TV or in a print magazine, et cetera, and non-working media was the cost that you had to create that stuff, to, cre- you know, to write the copy, to write the ad copy, to create the ad, et cetera. And so she's still trying to figure out in her business the ratios of what it should be when we've got basically all of it is what they would traditionally be defined as non-working media. In other words, creating a blog post, we're not quote-unquote paying for it to sit on the blog post. And she was asking for our perspective. Did you, I mean, did you, did you, um, did you have a perspective? Well, I certainly it tells do, you, but. tells you where I was coming because I'm coming from the publishing side. Yeah. And when she asked the question, I had to go look up. I, the first thing I did is a working versus not working ratio. <laughs> right. so I'm like, what is that? And of course, then when I went and saw the definition, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But I've never... I mean, okay, so I've been in content marketing for 15 years, publishing for 20 plus years, never heard those terms before. Yeah. Is that is that a rare? I mean, should I have I just been not hanging out with well, agencies? Well, no, I mean, they're, they're, it's well, they're big. It's big in ad agencies, yeah. right? Or it used to be big. It's not nearly as big as it used to be um, back in the back in the day. Um, and you know, I, I would I would dare say that it's like kind of an antiquated idea of trying to figure out what that is, especially with the relationships between brands and agencies shifting. There was a big move about I don't know three years ago where. There were consultants and all kinds of people that were hired to go into big accounts. You know, think big B two C accounts, right? Where you would go in and you would actually rent, you know, ring out efficiencies in non working media because agencies kind of changed their model about the way that they charged clients to create content versus the media costs. Um, because it used to be a million years ago, you would basically pay your agency their 15% commission on their media buy, and that would cover everything else that you had to do. Well, now that's all different, and that changed. And so there was a big movement about three three years ago, 2012, really, 2011, 
when there was a big move to try and wring out a lot of those costs and make, you know, create new methods of, you know, pay for performance and all kinds of things with agencies that went through. And they're still struggling with a lot of that today. But I think it's still a pretty old and antiquated um, idea these days. However, to answer Karen, my answer to Karen's question is if this is something that you have to deal with in your business, um, and and she suggests that changing the ratio to an eighty twenty for their own you know for their own uh, media platform. In other words, an eighty percent cost uh, versus a twenty percent uh, non working cost, um, or vice versa, as a guide is not an option for them. I think you have to start to look at your media channel as if you would have to buy space on it, right? So, so what would those costs be against an audience? And that can be a goal of your, you know, your business. If you can start to understand as a as a publication what you would normally charge an advertiser to be there, and you can start to assign true and actual media costs of what that value is. That value then can start to work for you with a with a you know for your quote unquote working media costs um, and start to align that with how much you're spending then to actually get that content created and work for a ratio and a goal there. I don't think there is any best practices here yet. Um, you know, I would actually point to one of the things that we talked about, I guess, a couple of shows ago with relevance in their sort of idea of native advertising and cost and those sort of algorithmic uh, uh, sort of ways to estimate cost and look at those. But I think, you know, really you, anything you come up with is going to be sort of industry leading because there's not a lot of best practice. Well, I, but I, I would say, boy, I wonder if you could change the conversation a little bit and say, what's the value of a subscriber on those own channels? I'd, because that is valuable and tangible. So if you let's say that on one of those own channels you have ten thousand subscribers and you know when you do the comparison between what a subscriber does versus a non subscriber, you can have a tangible value to that to per subscriber. Let's say it's it's right. it's ten dollars a subscriber, twenty dollars a subscriber, the actual spend of that person per year, you know, normalized out. You can actually do that. And media companies have been doing that forever. So I mean like so if I if I'm with a publishing company and I look at okay, well, Let's say I want to spend a dollar or two dollars to acquire a new subscriber. Oh, it's an easy ROI metric. It's like if if I know that my average subscriber gets me ten dollars and I'm only going to cost me two, I'm going to make that deal every day. Yep. So that's I would like to see more of that happen. That's a real publishing media mentality because everything revolves around a circulation base or subscriber base. But I think that you can do that if you know what are the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. With the own channels, or do you want them to buy something? Do you want them to stay longer? You know, what is the core objective? Then you can work back and assign a value on a per subscriber basis. I, I think right. that that's something you could probably do. It wouldn't be that. I mean, you could do the same thing for a Facebook or Twitter account. It's not as easy to do, but you can start to say, oh, okay, well, our average subscriber is on Facebook, is on Twitter, does this, makes these certain behaviors, does do these behaviors differently than a non-subscriber does, and then you can show value in that way. So I think that's I think that's a really great point. And I would add, and maybe this is helpful for Karen as well, is that it's not only just the value of that subscriber, although that's an amazingly great place to start, but you can the it's not only the costs of what it would cost you looking as a media buyer on your own, you know, your own owned media property. In other words, you know, looking at it as if you were the the media company selling the ad internally. 
but also what is the cost decrease that you get in the efficiency from having that audience as a first party asset. And, you know, for example, the way that Kraft does this, right? So it's not only the fact that they have this wonderful media platform that they can say, look, our non-working versus working media costs here on an owned media platforms are X or Y. And they could figure that out very easily. In other words, we have 3 million opt-in subscribers. What would it actually cost us to place an ad here? That gives us that value equation that we're looking for. But two, how much of a decrease in cost are we getting or more efficient advertising buy are we getting across all of the other platforms we're buying media on because we have this data that we can use to make a more efficient media buy. In other words, retargeting is 15% better or the ability to target an ad in an email is 20% better because we have this data. So it's also a decrease in the cost of the other platforms we're advertising on can be part of that ratio as well. Well, that's and that's where Kraft makes the case that they're own platform is more effective at delivering advertising messages in the exact same way. That's exactly what you're talking about. So you could do it that way as well. Yeah, I think that it's hard to answer the question in my perspective unless you know truly what the objective is and how you're ultimately going to measure it outside of just a cost scenario. So that's my take. Very good. All right. Well, moving on. So this actually feeds right into this. this. I didn't even realize when I was putting these stories together how well they would brilliant. Together, but here it is again. I'm it's, telling you, it's, it's brilliant. Magnificent. It's the shenanigans of there we go. The Game of Thrones. <laughs> anyway, the rise of community media and why social networks just don't work anymore. Um, this article also comes to us from The Next Web um, and is written by uh, the founder of Capuno Communities. His name is Cyrus Radfar. I hope I'm getting his name pronunciation correct. And he starts out by saying, listen, this is a guest post here, and I'm hopefully going to end on a triumphant note, so don't let what I'm about to say bum you out, But because basically I'm going to tell you that social media is broken. Um, I don't think he's actually bumming any of us out. I think we all kind of re- recognize that by now, or many of us do anyway. And he says, basically, the myth of it being a democratic or meritocratic system isn't holding up to scrutiny, and we're actually learning that it's not really the place you want to go start a thoughtful discussion or vet a new idea or try to have a discussion around complex uh, problems, all those kinds of things. He says, it's a, look, it's a wondrous place for great comments from celebrities and world leaders and have the public sort of tweet out things and those sorts of things. But he says the majority of people on social media are, quite frankly, spectators. And then he goes on to build this argument about why really – The social media as community idea is dying, and the community as community, in other words, the niche community as media platform, is really the thing that's going to rise up over the next uh, few years. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Is he right? Well, I mean, that seems to be what's happening, but I I think the bigger issue is the the move away from the broad to the niche, and it's always been that way. Uh, And when you i mean we run into this all the time it's the larger companies there's they're so hesitant to go after the niches cuz they feel they're going to miss out on a larger portion of their audience and because they go bigger with their audience base they are not relevant enough with their content and it has no resonance so it doesn't work for them 
So, yeah. I mean, so look at the whole general idea of this article is, okay, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, too broad, even in some of the communities on there, too broad, and God knows what we're going to think about Google+. So then they go into, oh, let's go into engineering, and there's 3,000 groups here and 5,000 groups here, and you can go niche, 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 niche. So the recommendation is, look, if you want to be, if you want to grow an audience, you would focus on a real niche area, but go to these networks these smaller networks instead of the bigger networks to make an impact to try to grow your own audience, which seems like fantastic advice to me. I, and I don't even know if there's another way to do it because when you, if you want to then, then you can go bigger. Then you can go Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn because once you have an audience, it's self-sustaining. It can build on itself. But if you have 500 followers or, around something niche in Twitter or Facebook, it's really hard to get. It takes a long time. Most right. most businesses just aren't patient enough to go there. You could do it. Well, it's just takes a long inter- time. And that he makes a point about halfway through the article, which I think is just really interesting, where he talks about how media brands are really struggling with this because once you start to, once you have an audience, once one of these writers or the publisher or the editor has an audience, many times they leave. I mean, he talks about people like Ezra Klein and Nate Silver and Kara Swisher and all of these writers who sort of made their bread and butter living living out of the back of you know great big media brands and once they got to a certain level of audience they sort of go off and start their own right you know they're they're starting their own media brand and really in a focus niche right you know where they say i mean he even uses a stat where he says Ezra Klein who's now the editor in chief now has 220,000 fans of his own, and he often drives a quarter, 20, a full 25% of Vox.com's daily that's Facebook huge. referrals. That, I mean, that's just a huge influence. To have right? one person drive that yeah. much traffic <laughs> is... Well, it's, it's a wonderful asset, and it's also a huge risk, right? And so it's a really interesting thing to me where the idea of you know where this idea of, of of media especially as brands as marketers we try and figure out should we be setting up a community with community leaders or should we be setting up a media platform that looks more like an audience where we're actually you know letting people have discussions and whatnot on this media platform or should we be using the social media the facebook the linkedin the twitter where all of that sort of fits into the strata of saying what we're really trying to do here is build an audience, right? And and, and it and it and it's a really interesting challenge, I think, to to sort of simultaneously build that audience around personalities and a content brand while you sort of fight the urge to sort of say we're getting to this point where we're so niche that. It, you know, it, it's got to either split well, it out on its own or, you know, something. Well, like that. The, the smart media brands and companies, that is, I think, who do this really well, you get a lot of them that say, no, no, I don't want to do it because they don't want that their employees to have too much power. So they back away from it. The smarter ones are just creating training grounds to create more of those people. And right. I mean, that's, that's, a great that's point. what that's you a do because you basically diversify so that if one leaves, it's not going to be all that bad. Because you've you've been growing a hundred or two hundred or a thousand more in the company, and that's yeah. where I think training comes in, and where we're 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 just seeing most companies scratch the surface of that about building in uh, training programs so that you can you can build thought leaders in the organization, help them build their own platforms, build their own books, 
Uh, and yes, you're going to help that employee go farther and hopefully they'll stay with the organization. But if you, and you can reap the rewards of that as a brand and as traffic to your site, and you can convert that traffic to an audience, which is fantastic. And th- some are going to go. I think ESPN actually does a really good job. Th- those, yeah. they, I mean, sometimes they leave and sometimes they go and have their own shows, yes. but sometimes they I don't. T- I got to tell you what's, what's coming up for me is this, is this continual idea of such, I wrote about this actually on my my. It was part of my my intelligent content um, letter this week, which spoke to this sort of experience that I had with a client, which is this idea of how fundamentally marketing is shifting over into this organization that must create sustained value. Right. So, just to your point, right, this is not something that can be. What you just outlined is something that has to last well beyond the tenure of any one employee, right? We have yep. to set up a culture in the business that sort of allows for that blog or allows for that publication to withstand really anybody coming or going. And we have to build sort of a business within a business. And I was sitting in this this meeting um, with a very large organization with the VPs and all of the C-suite of this organization. And basically, ha- we were talking about exactly this, right? You know, how Marriott has built a content studio and Red Bull and all of the sort of usual examples that we we bring up. And right in the middle of the meeting, the this he was a financial guy with the with, in the C-suite of this company. He sort of stood up and sort of angrily put his notebook aside and said, we make money the way we've made money for a hundred years, and we are not going to build a movie studio or a newspaper in this business. And it's it, 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 that was, to me, it was like this sort of moment where everybody sort of looked around at each other and went, you know, uh oh, there, there. Yeah, well, there is no more change, right? You know, the the change, you know, and it's and it and the other thing that struck me was is that it was for him, it was either sort of, you know, we have to go all in and be Red Bull, or we can't do anything at all, right? And and that to me is the sort of the shame of it is is when businesses can't change even a little bit. Well, it's it comes back to change. It always comes back to every. Everything, even at Intelligent Content Conference, that was the big discussion is I, I we can do these things. We have yeah. the technology, right? We have the power, uh, but we don't have the culture that will enable us to get those things done. They didn't Amazing. feel that. That was 99% yeah. of the people there. There were very few people that thought that they could actually go back. Now, we're breaking through. I think I've, more yeah. and more every conference yeah, we go absolutely. to, it's a little bit yeah. better, but that's always the number one thing. It's It's a cultural issue more than anything yeah. else culture eat strategy for breakfast but lunch is on the way how about that oh i like that <laughs> now somebody listening to this needs to make a little infographic <laughs> out of that per at underscore or at robert underscore rose and that's culture your, eat that's your new quote breakfast but lunch is coming yes that's <laughs> lunch your, is coming that's, soon that's your tweetable we will be fed today yeah. with content <laughs> speaking speaking of getting fed with content Absolutely. We have a sponsor for the second week in a we row. I'm so happy about these guys. This old marketing is proud to be sponsored by Widen Enterprises, a digital technology company that specializes in digital asset management, a very, very important issue. We're finding out yeah. more and more that yeah, we have a lot of companies creating a lot of content out there, but they don't know where the heck that content is or how to get access to that content or whether they're breaking any rules by accessing that content. So that's why you need a digital asset management system. Wyden is offering this amazing report. <laughs> it's a, And it's amazing because oh. it's written by the one and only Robert Rose. Oh, my God. 
Yes, thank you. Sound thank effects you. included. Thank you very much. Great, <laughs> great visual storytelling takes a village. Speaking of it taking a village, did you hear Hillary Clinton announced? Apparently, today? yes. Yeah. Did you see her logo? Did you see her? I awful didn't see. Logo? No, I didn't see. The oh logo. my god. It looks like somebody did it with Microsoft Paint. I mean, it's just that bad. Really? It's it's not a good logo. No. Oh, now I got to go logo. check it out. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's... Hillary Clinton had nothing to do with the making of this report. Great no. visual storytelling takes a village. <laughs> Today, Rich. Media... She should have used a village. She should have used a village. <laughs> Today, Rich Media. Experience... She could have used a village, oh, idiot. God, you're ruining my whole bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're making it better. I don't know. It could go either way at this point. Rich media experiences are paving the future of content marketing. This very timely report explains how the four C's collaborate, customize, communicate, and connect. Is that a little play off the four P's? Did you do that? It's always a play off the four P's, you, my friend. Every alliteration I'll is just a mnemonic device that I use so that I can actually remember what the hell I'm talking about. But the about. four C's is better because it become, it, it's, it's before P in the alphabet. So it's got to be go. better. It can help your business streamline the management of its digital assets <laughs> so you can scale your content marketing initiatives. And we want you to, and we've heard, we heard from the source, the number of people that were downloading this report. I've, I've heard rumors, Robert. That some servers in small <laughs> server farms in locations that we can't quite identify went down because so many people were trying to download this report. That's so amazing. You can download it at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash P-N-R widen. That's all lowercase P-N-R widen. Or you can go to, uh, actually, you can go to thisoldmarketing.com. Go to the latest episode and click on the link. It might be easier for you, so you don't have to remember it. Great visual storytelling takes a vi- village. Written by the one and only Robert Rose. You have to get your hands on this. Please do. And thank you once again to our wonderful sponsor, Widen Enterprises. You really, we've yeah. been a great supporter Absolutely. of us for a long time. And thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for them. Okay, folks, it is time for the part of the show that you really, really love, which is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that is making us feel like tax time uh, and how we feel when we file our taxes or making us feel a little bit like when we get to, let's see, something fun about Game of Thrones. And I can't think of anything that's really positive about Game of Thrones <laughs> other than um, how beautiful is. Well, no, we won't go there. Yeah, anyway, so, yeah, let's move along here. So I guess I have the uh, first. Yeah, so you're doing this whole marketing, this so you, marketing, you yeah. take the, the rave or rant first. What do you All got? All right. Well, I have a bit of a rant or, excuse me, a rave with a very, very, very tiny skosh of rant here. Um, mostly 95, 96% this is a rave. Um, this is an interview that comes from AMA.org, the American Marketing Association, and is in an interview with Douglas Rushkoff. And for those of you who don't know who Douglas Rushkoff is, he's been around forever. Um, back in the early 90s, he wrote a book called Siberia, um, C-Y-B-E-R-I-A, which was really on the idea of cyber culture. He wrote a book called Media Virus and the mid-90s, which was talked about the viral nature of digital content. Um, and then he's also got a new book out, which he calls Present Shock. I couldn't recognize it. Anyway, we'll move on from that. When Everything Happens Now. And he's actually arguing in this new book that we no longer have a sense of direction because our culture has become so focused on the present. And anyway, it's a fascinating. It's a long interview. So sit down with a cup of tea and, and sort of immerse yourself in this. But it's really, really good because here's the thing. Here's my take on this. 
he goes on to discuss a lot of things. And it's all, you know, as I said, it's a long interview. So I'm not going to try, I certainly won't capture all the nuance of everything he says here. So please do go read it for yourself. It's wonderful here. Um, the headline for my little rave here is, is that I want you to read this article through the lens of a content marketing, because I think after you read this, you won't, you can't help but come away from the feeling that content marketing, the approach of content marketing is something that just might save the world. And I'm only slightly exaggerating here because he starts with a lot of different things. He talks about the intersection of personal identity and digital selves, where he talks about what digital technology has really done that has to open up the sort of anything's possible kind of idea. But we as businesses or governments or marketers, we sort of apply this 20th century mindset to this. And basically, even though digital technology gives us this anything's possible idea, we try and make it more predictable, right? We want to use data to make everything about human behavior more predictable. And then he also touches on the idea of how the traditional story arc is now gone and that storytelling has really changed from this classic arc. He calls it Aristotelian, and that's way too academic here. It's basically hero's journey stuff that he's talking about here. And he says that the new idea of stories about, you know, sort of this Game of Thrones, never-ending sort of, you know, never-ending story, and I don't agree with him there. I think there's plenty of thirst and there's plenty of ideas for classic story structures. Um, and But he talks about it like we're in this existential crisis, but you know, I don't think we are necessarily here. I think there's change underfoot. But there's a really fascinating part. And then he talks about filter failure and how the idea of content and filters are really failing us. And this is what really, you know, if you look at what Mark Schaefer's talking about with content shock is, is this idea that we can't really understand or comprehend all the content. And quite frankly, it leads us to read less deeply and understand less comprehensively. And this is where I really disagree with him, because I think this is, even despite some of the studies that he'll cite, I think this is a change, not necessarily our inability to comprehend things in a deeper way. And then finally, and this is really where I want to sort of stand up and cheer and stand up on the box and say, go Douglas, go, is he finishes with, and the interviewer asks him the question, says, what's the answer for marketers? In this sort of world that you're sort of describing in your new book, what's the answer for marketing people? And the question um, is really, he says, that the answer is in the very first line of like the last paragraph of the whole article. He says, there is, this is a quote now, he says, there is, but the really scary part is that it's going to require the business or the brand to actually create value for consumers. He says you're going to have to create a genuine culture around your brand. You can't just use branding as a way to camouflage the product. And then he says you're going to have to see your op- – basically you're going to have to let the world see your operation, see your company, whether you like it or not. So you might as well turn everything you do into a story. And to, I mean to me, I just went, oh my god. That gave me chills when I read that. Wonderful article. Great read. Sit down with a cup of tea. Enjoy Douglas Rushkoff. Hopefully you're getting introduced to him and his other books as well. Just a wonderful, wonderful, um, uh, a wonderful thing. Well, great. Now I got to read it. I <laughs> yeah, didn't, right. <laughs> didn't read it, but now I'm going to have to read it. Um, you know, it's interesting. My, I have a, I have a short rave, uh, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, you don't even plan these things sometimes, and we've got a theme running through this. Uh, you know, I was, as I said, went to Universal Studios, and the one day, the last day, actually, we were in Florida with the family. Of course, we're big Lego family, and there's a Lego Imagination Center, and that's in downtown Disney. So, of course, we have yeah. to make a 
a trip from Universal. We go over before we're going to hit the airport. We're going to go to downtown Disney. It's under major construction. And when I say major, I mean like I didn't even recognize the place. And I'd been there two years before. Wow. I'm like, wow. what is going on? The parking lot was gone that I went to, went to know, went through the whole thing. So we start walking where we park on the west side over by where Planet Hollywood is. Do you have you been to downtown Disney? Do you I have. Okay. Yes, sadly. So yes. okay, yeah. So you'll I'm you'll, not a fan like you. That's are. okay. No, no, this is okay. <laughs> I mean you this will be interesting. Yeah. So remember so you you have the the west side which is Planet Hollywood and right that's now right. there is um you know very nice walls put up but construction walls. Uh, because they're under huge construction and they're doing something called Disney Springs. I think it's called Disney Springs. But they are they 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 took a bomb to this place and they are I can't imagine the number of acres that they're taking up with new buildings and this vision that they're putting on. And they're they're taking downtown Disney and they're basically multiplying at times ten the size. Oh my god, it's huge! And the pictures are up in this down in this. They're calling it Disney Springs because they they want this new feel and all the. And as I'm walking along, there's all these quotes from Walt Disney, which I'm just digging because I'm <laughs> I read every quote. Just think sure. this is awesome. And he talks about this one. And so the one that I actually put on my Instagram page was, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. That's the first one by oh, Walt Disney. And then he just talks about how we, you know, we get focused, we think big, but we stay focused on the task at hand and we always finish the job. And it's just everyone is going uh, to that, you know, all these amazing quotes by Walt Disney. And I, of course, I started thinking about content marketing. And Disney is successful because they have huge, big ideas, and then they focus on it, and they always follow through. But they make big bets. Disney has always made big bets. And for the most part, those bets have paid off uh, through amazing execution, amazing focus, and executive support, like from Walt Disney. And if I think about it, from I just started thinking about it from a content marketing perspective. You think about the Red Bulls, and you think about what's going on at Marriott. I have no doubt that Marriott's going to be successful because they have support all the way through that organization. To make this thing happen. I absolutely believe that they will make it happen. And I guess the challenge that I have, and we've talked about it in this episode, I just don't think a lot of the companies that we talk to are making those kinds of bets. And I really believe that now is the time. I mean, now is is the time where you're going to see companies in your industry make certain bets and take certain risks that are going to seem a little bit odd, but that are going to pay off big time, even through your you know, your last statement about saving the world, about creating some amazing value for customers when you've got competitors in, a, in certain industries that are still going to focus on product campaigns and they're still fighting through cultural change and silos and they're not going to be able to move fast enough and there's going to be all these small disruptors that are going to come in and they're going to roll over you like a wave because yeah. they see the world in a different way and they're going to make these bets. And I don't know if that – it just – I just think that that we need more of that Walt Disney type mentality in content marketing, and I just I don't know if we're there yet because we're almost trying to fit. You said it. I mean, you. I think you said it a couple. You said in your presentation where we're trying to fit content into marketing, right? And it's never going to work that way. That's right. And that's right. Yeah, we're trying. Basically, we're trying to change content's purpose by you know within marketing, and instead, we need to be changing marketing's purpose to fit content. <laughs> and that's the. Re- I mean, to me, I, I love I love that so much. What you just said, but you know, it, it reminds me so much of the the what I've been thinking about a lot about lately, and and I'm actually in the midst of sort of starting to write a piece on this, which is 
this idea of when we look at the great examples, you know, when we look at great examples of content marketing that are out there, and we, you know, we talk about them all the time, right? From Kraft to Coca-Cola to Red Bull and now Marriott, and and we look at Indium and we look at HubSpot and we look at all these great sort of examples of content marketing that are out there. I would bet, and this is the part where I'm actually really on a journey and trying to research this a bit, I would bet if you look at all those amazing examples of content marketing, I would bet none of them or very few of them started out as, well, let's figure out you know, our buyer's journey and figure out what step of the buyer's journey has got a gap in it and then do a content audit and then to apply that content into the buyer's journey and then figure out what we need to do here and then figure out a contest. It's not a, it, it didn't start that way. It started out with, let's do something amazing. Let's do something big that creates great value for our customer, and we'll figure the rest of it out. That's You know what? That's it. I mean, I, I just had a conversation today about somebody about talking about the buyer's journey and because I was going to do a presentation for him, and I said, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about the buyer's journey. What I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you to focus on a very specific audience and how you can do something amazing for that audience right. on a regular That's basis right. that you become indispensable to that audience. The rest of that stuff will work itself out. Yeah. Like, Don't get caught in the minutia of the buyer's journey when we're not creating any value. We don't know the value that we're trying to create in the first place. That's exactly so, right. Oh, my goodness. I am inspired. Let's go do. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go do something. Let's go. Let's, let's go, go climb Mount Everest, let's go man. Do something. Let's, Come let's on. Go do. Let's go do something. Let me find. Let's go, let's go do something. <laughs> oh my god! All right, we're so corny. Before Wait, do we gets have a this old marketing too this weird. Yes, yeah. we do. Okay, so we have a huge, huge hat tip. So, okay, so we know that the guys and gals at Connected DX the company formerly known as eyesight we know you keep track of this thing carmen on the scoreboard should get like four notches for this one huge hat tip hat tip to carmen hill at connected dx for this because she tipped us off to something quite frankly we should have covered you know shame on 25 shows ago Yeah. yeah so the idea is mutual of omaha's wild kingdom and so all of you just that are of age what just went Oh my God, of course. I can't. I, I, are you kidding me? Yes, of course. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom started in 1963 um, on television, was a huge hit um, until 1970, and then went off the air, and then, of course, went, came back on in syndication, which is when, of course, all of us that are of age sort of re- really remember it, was when it was on Sunday nights in syndication, and we saw Marlon Perkins out there talking with Jim Fowler, who was out you know, in the wilderness, and he's safe in the little office, and he would basically show us what it was like you know, to run with lions and see the wildebeest and see the monkeys and all these, and it was an amazing show. All of which was, of course, sponsored, funded, and created by Mutual of Omaha Insurance Company. And interestingly, I had to go back and watch a few episodes here. They actually did integrate marketing into this. They would often say basically things like, you know, hey, by the way, just as the mother lion protects her cub, you can now protect your children with an insurance policy from Mutual of Omaha. So you can call that native advertising. You can call it segmenting in some marketing messaging there. This was Marlon saying this, not just to some voiceover or something like that. So that was just an amazing example of this kind of marketing being around you know, 50 years ago. And interestingly, 
with a little bit of research, and this is where the big hat tip to Carmen comes in. It's back, and it has been back since 2013. So it's now back. Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom is roaring back to life. It's got, um, on 2013, it is now a web series where they're producing multiple shows per year. I went to the website today, in fact, and the 2015 shows are up. There's already three big episodes up for 2015, and they've got it reimagined. Every Sunday, the new episode comes out, and basically, it's hosted by this new wildlife educator, and uh, her name is Stephanie Arn, and, and she's the winner of their basically wild guide contest, um, and basically creating a whole new world um, for a brand new audience who were never sort of uh, got to see the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom television show, and now they're creating it for a new generation. And I think it's just a fantastic I didn't know it was example. back out. That's yeah, it's phenomenal. Back out. It's so wonderful. If you go to the website, it's beautiful. You know, the only thing you see that's branded at all is Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and it's a beautiful website. Very simple, just a video episode right there, and you can watch the episodes, and it's just really, really great. Oh, I love that. I love that. I hope that we need more of those kind of examples. That's uh, that's that's fantastic. Thank you, Carmen. Well done. Absolutely. All right, Mister, you're home, right? So, you are you on the road? I'm home. What, what uh, yeah, I'm got. I'm going to do a little golfing over the weekend. Uh, Aww, annu- yeah, it's like nice. everybody's just like Joe is just traveling everywhere. A- annual golf that's trip right. with my with my pop. So I'm looking forward to that, spending time with him, and uh, and you know, they got a couple days in the office to catch up and nice. putting the book to bed. So Content Inc. Oh, is fantastic! Almost, Congratulations. Final reviews. Uh, you know, going through making oh, the final edits. I can't wait edits. to read this. I cannot so, wait to read this. I'm super excited about it. I'm, I, I, I don't know for some reason because every small business we talk to, they feel, oh, we can't do what the Red Bulls are going to do. And I'm like, look, here's a hundred examples of how, yeah, right? of, of how, uh, you know, single uh, entrepreneurs or you know, small groups were able to create amazing content programs and content brands, and you can do it too. So I'm really looking forward to it. So what's your, what's your week look like? My week is um, here, actually, just heads down, working on client stuff, working on a couple of client deliverables and writing some new stuff, as I mentioned. And um, and then next week, I'm off to New York um, for a quick trip there. And then uh, I'm also off to Montreal to do, I'm appearing at the Cisco Velocity event where I will get to see the lovely Jay Bear and Gary Vaynerchuk and a few other folks, Jill Rowley. Um, and talk all things content marketing and the transformation of the marketing organization. Speaking of that, um, at their uh, at their big partner event in Montreal. So, well, they yeah. chose well. That's very very <laughs> smart. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, we'll find out when. We all get right, there. good deal. <laughs> all right, that is it, folks. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, continue to tweet us up. Uh, Carmen, keep those ideas coming. Everybody, keep those ideas coming. Hashtag this old marketing on Twitter. We love your story ideas. Thank you so much. Or, you know, you can send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 74, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links that we talk about and all the great show notes will be available on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. And do hope we uh, that you'll tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, you know what the chain of command is? That's the chain I go and get to beat you with. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.